What is the Podcast Matrix? The Podcast Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. How on earth could a show produced more than 30 years ago provide a focus on the inequality of races in America? Time travel! That's how! What's strange is that this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, doesn't feel old. It doesn't feel out of place. It actually asserts itself as an action-filled, direct, cautionary tale that is timeless and filled with foundation that will hopefully make you pause, think, and make smart decisions. It's time for the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and always educational review of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 7, Hate on Your Dial. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, a ton of thick content that we got to get through. Let's get to the retell. A man in a jumpsuit polishes the daylights out of a classic 1954 Chevrolet. He's talking to his younger brother, Ray, about the photo that they're looking at. His speech is somehow impacted. And as he continues telling the tales of happy family memories, in walks Mama with coffee. Time to put the pictures away and get to bed soon. Although I don't know why I'm bringing you coffee if you're going to bed. This is the Pierce family of today. Simple. Down-to-earth country folk. Right? Right. As the two brothers, Archie, the older with some kind of mental deficiency, and Ray, young, brash, and filled with racial hatred, discuss the past, they share that the photo inside the news clippings is from the day that the Pierce family ended. Way back in 1954. You see, it was the day that all white folk got in trouble. Ray explains to Archie it was the day their daddy, Stephen, needed to teach those coloreds a lesson. As they continue to reminisce, in walks a black kid. His name is Elliot. He's selling candy bars to collect for his school band, and Ray is having none of it. He smashes the box of chocolates out of Elliot's hands and tells him to skedaddle. Clearly, Ray's heart is filled with hate, rage, and now, as he cocks a shotgun ready for action, something obviously darker. 
Over at the Curious Good Shop, a woman has brought over a series of things that she's trying to sell. Shay wants to get rid of the junk, and Johnny's making deals. He pays the woman cash, and she leaves. As the woman leaves the shop, in walks Archie from a local car wash. Ace car wash, that is. He finds a Confederate flag and begins to simply wave it inside of the shop and engages Johnny in a simple conversation. Archie recognizes that the radio that the woman just sold to Johnny is one from the same year of the car that his father owned, that now his brother Ray owns. The radio's from 1954. It'll make a perfect addition to his brother's car and make him happy. Archie offers Johnny a hundred bucks, and Johnny makes a deal for just twenty-five. Ah, Johnny Ventura, the heart of a saint. Later that day, Archie and Ray are installing the radio, going over old family tales, like the one of their daddy going off to prison because he ended up causing the death of a local sharecropper. You see, it's because there was a witness. As the conversation continues, Archie lets his brother know that he doesn't like how Ray treated his friend Elliot, and Ray begins sharing the photographic tales of their daddy. The pictures feature burning crosses, people in pointy white outfits, and how daddy would clearly roll in his grave if he knew what Archie was saying now. Across town, Mickey saunters in and suddenly learns that the car radio Johnny just saw was likely in the manifest. She and Johnny confirm it, and... Idiot! What hath Johnny done now? Just as they discover this, in walks Jack Marshak. Man of realizing that Johnny f***ed up again action. But it's okay. Johnny recollects that the guy had a car wash patch on his shirt. They can go find him at Ace Car Wash. So everything's going to be just fine. And no, it won't. Time to go find the devil-possessed radio. Hey, look. It's Elliot, the collecting money for band outfits kid, shooting hoops down the block. Up walks Ray. Ray then shoots a few hoops, whoops, but with a gun. He fires in Elliot's direction and wonders why Elliot thinks he can talk to white people like that. Ray then asserts that the only thing black people can do is play basketball and dance. That's all they're good for, according to Ray. Ray continues to shoot in Elliot's general direction and encourages him to dance, but then a bullet errantly hits Elliot and kills him. Police sirens echo in the distance as Ray touches the wound his bullet caused and now literally has blood on his hands. As he realizes what he's done, he sprints to the safety and solace of the 1954 family car. While driving home, Ray accidentally smears some of the young man's blood on the dials of the radio, and the car shimmers with light, and suddenly... Ray is driving down a long-ago street. The frame and world is all in black and white. Country music blares over the radio. He has transported to 1954'sville. He's apparently in a town called Larksburg. He pulls into the Larksburg Diner and finds a newspaper stand. He grabs a copy and looks through the news clippings and realizes that something special is going on here. As he walks into the diner, he finds a lot of white people eating. He grabs a stool and asks what town this is. The young waitress says it's Larksburg, Mississippi. Ray wonders if she knows about a family named Pierce. 
And as the waitress details where the Pierce's family lives, in walks a black dude in dungarees, clearly a sharecropper. The sharecropper's wondering if he could buy a loaf of bread. You see, he wants to make sure that the kids at home have something to eat while his wife is sick. And the general store is closed. The woman quickly dismisses the black man, and as she does so, he grabs her elbow and begs for her to do something. This instantly sets off the crowd of people sitting inside the restaurant, and one man, Joe, stands up and accosts him and warns him about putting his hands on white women. He then backhands the sharecropper. The black man in return then body slams Joe into the apple pie covered table and the restaurant erupts into violence as a number of the white men, including Ray, begin to jump atop and pummel the sharecropper. Then in walks the local sheriff who breaks up what's going on. The sheriff encourages Ray to be on his way, but Joe wants Ray to have some mo. Who writes this shit? Meanwhile, in the present, the information is coming in hot and heavy about the two brothers who have acquired the radio, and Jack shares that he's angry with the situation, but not with Johnny. Okie doke. Whatevers. Meanwhile, back in 1954'sville, Ray is detailing to Joe the changes that are coming in the future, and Joe doesn't take to any of it kindly, but he thinks that Ray will fit right in. Into the clan Ray goes! Later inside a meeting of concerned white citizens, a bunch of white dudes are talking about how they don't like the coloreds. You see, Ray learns that the house that they're sitting in is actually his father's house, and that the young boy sitting in the room playing is his older brother Archie, and that the pregnant woman in the room providing snacks and drinks to the loving brethren in the room is his mom, and that's him over there in their tummy. It's true! Ray now has the opportunity to change history and ensure that his father isn't sent to prison. It's all going to be okay! Uh, no, it's not. Ray confirms that he'd like to come along with his newfound friends at their event tonight. Grab the gas cans and be sure to wear something white. Johnny and Mickey show up to the current Pierce household to talk to Archie and wonder where is the radio? The problem? It's now inside of Ray's car. Ray's out and about. He's usually gone for days. Mickey and Johnny decide it's time for a stakeout. In 1954'sville, a bunch of white dudes in white robes and pointy hats burn crosses and revel in a killing. Ray realizes that this is the opportunity to prevent his father from going to prison and being hung. To do so, he shares that they have to keep a lookout for a witness. Later that evening, they're preparing to kill the sharecropper that came looking for bread. Time for 30 lashes. They begin administering the punishment. Finish him off, says one of the pointy-hatted gents. Meanwhile, inside the rolls, the bends, Jack, Mickey, and Johnny consider that they may be talking about time travel i.e. Ray's likely driven the car back to the past. Great Scott! In 1954'sville, Ray is realizing there is no witness. That means that perhaps because he's there, he's changed the past and his father is free and clear. As Ray is leaving the scene of the sharecropper's murder, inside the car, Ray cleans the blood off the radio knobs and... 
it flashes back to the current, where Johnny, Mickey, and Jack are able to clandestinely witness him returning. We need to be extremely careful. Jack stresses, and they creep up to the house after Ray goes inside. Ray encourages his mom to understand the details of Ray changing history, but his mom continues to tell him that they have to let go of the past. Determined to never let go of the past, Ray grabs the family photo album and heads to destiny. And the garage. Archie then tells Ray that the man that sold him the radio wants the radio back. Ha! Ah, that ain't happening. Ray's determined to revisit their daddy and make history right. But to do so, it's going to take killing another of Archie's colored friends. Archie wants desperately to prevent this and ends up being murdered himself with a hammer to the forehead. Just as Archie's body hits the ground, Mickey, Jack, and Johnny bust in the room. Ray runs to the 54 Chevy, smears his brother's blood on the radio dials, and as Jack and Johnny are holding onto the vehicle, <gasps> all three of them disappear in the car back to 1954'sville. Great Scott! Again! As the car arrives in 1954'sville, Jack and Johnny fall away from the running vehicle. Ray heads back towards the Pierce compound. Ray eventually arrives to share a news clipping with his father to try and stress that something has got to be done. Time to gather the clan and kill the black lawyer that, if left unchecked, will institute justice for a murdered black man and get his father sent to prison. As Ray leaves, a young Archie is chanting. And Stephen Pierce finds the chanting incredibly annoying. That deserves a smack! And according to the look on Mumsy, this isn't the first time that a smack like this has happened. Across Larksburg, Jack and Johnny are walking down the street and witness another outbreak of racial hatred that is kind of broken up again by the kind of friendly local sheriff. Again. As the sheriff disperses the crowd, he meets Henry Emmett. You know, the black lawyer who wants someone arrested for the death of the sharecropper. But alas, there aren't any viable witnesses that are willing to testify. The sheriff's pretty sure that Henry won't find any witnesses because, well, that's a natural fact. Jack chooses to have a word with Mr. Emmett. The men in town are very upset about this investigation. You should be careful because someone may try to harm you very soon. Thanks, Whitey! Mr. Emmett isn't quite sure how to take that and instantly tosses out our favorite Jack Marshak into a group that Jack never thought he'd be associated with. How can I be a racist? I've fought the Nazis. In the now, Mickey tries to explain to the police what she saw in regard to Archie's murder, but obviously she can't tell them everything. Mumsy then discloses she always knew that something terrible would happen. As we snap back to 1954'sville, Ray sees that his mother is tending to Archie's recently received injury and tells Ray that, Killing the people you don't like won't cure the anger that's inside you. You'll find something else to hate. Ray wonders what's wrong with Archie, and Mumsy shares that the beatings that Archie endures are a regular occurrence. Across Larksburg, Johnny delivers Ray's family photo album to Jack, who decides to share it with the local sheriff. What a dumb move. The hope? We must stop the lynching of the black lawyer, Henry Emmett. <laughs> That's awesome. The sheriff will look into it as soon as possible. Yeah, sure he will. Before we know it, 
Jack witnesses several white-robed men kidnapping Henry Emmett, the black lawyer. As he intervenes, Jack Marshak, man of being kidnapped by the Klan action, is also being dragged into the vehicle and is headed to a very bright but fiery fate, along with Henry Emmett, the black lawyer. Shortly thereafter, both Henry and Jack Marshak find themselves in front of a series of burning crosses. In addition to Jack and Henry, there is another spy amongst the clansmen. The Grand Dragon gleefully announces, The spy is Ray! <gasps> the Grand Dragon then removes his headdress to reveal that the leader of the pack of hatemongers in white is actually <gasps> the sheriff? A bull? He tells everyone that Ray has shared pictures of, quote, the future. Time to burn Ray alive! As they tie and fuel up Ray, Johnny exits the trunk of the car where he was hiding. He works his hot wiring magic on the 1954 Chevy and rescues Henry and Jack by running over the not fast enough clans members. In addition to Ray being ready to be burned alive, they're going to put Joe to the stake also. You see, Joe is the one that brought Ray to the group. So bring on the gasoline. Time to burn the traitors. And so Steve, Ray's father, grabs a torch. He saunters up to Ray, the recently discovered spy, and lights him ablaze. Ray cries out, Daddy! 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 Ray and Joe illuminate the night and stink up the future. After dropping off Henry M. at the Black Lawyer, Jack and Johnny drive out of town, and as they do, they wipe the blood off the cursed car radio dials and reappear back in good old 1989. Mickey and Mumsy see Jack and Johnny return, but Mumsy knows that now both of her sons are gone. That's okay, though, because now the car radio is back in our time, and the cursed item is... Recovered! Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. It's time to focus on the goods. Timeless subject matter. I don't know that this could have been presented any better in regard to time-wise here in good old 2021. Because we're coming off what is probably one of the most significant events in time where we have the Capitol being stormed, which is then instantly placed into the also dome of racial hatred. The subject matter of this episode could be presented any time at all. Mm -hmm. And it instantly becomes thought-provoking, which is what I really enjoyed about this. Even with this taking place, you know, the current stuff taking place in 1989, I, it really doesn't feel like anything has changed. It's, it's, it's ripped right out of the headlines of 2020, especially. And I feel like this episode especially after the year that we had, not not discounting the years before, but after the year of 2020, this episode was just... There were a lot of things that made me feel uncomfortable watching it, going, like, going like, wow, yeah, just... just Jesus, what, what, what the hell is wrong with us yeah, as a society? And this is a little bit of the making the sausage that you guys don't usually get from us, but mm. I wanted to make sure we shared it inside of this episode also. When Nick and I are watching the episode, for those of you that didn't know or aren't paying attention, Nick and I watch the episode live together, and then we actually do all the work. 
which is not common, I don't think. I think most people that review stuff, especially in tandem pairs, they're not actually watching episodes together. Hmm. And so it's one of the things I know I really enjoy about our work when right. we do this episode yeah, this, yeah. or this series. I don't do this with anybody else. I don't I don't have a time where, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this television show and then we're going to do the work. There used to be a time when we could do that, but it's just that's not the way the world works anymore. And so that I, I really do cherish the time that we spend together like this. And watching this together, it's where I want to take my my brand of har har funny funny and try and apply it to this incredibly viable violent subject yeah and it's not easy we we, we spent some a lot of extra time today running through the script of the retail mm -hmm. and it was totally intentional because how do you flavor this as funny at all and what we finally realized is that you really do have to turn it back in on itself yeah and doing that i think it turned out wonderfully i, I the flavor that we got inside the retail is exactly what this episode deserved and needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not. We're we're not going to give any kind of respect to hate mongers, and I like the fact that we use that word in our retail quite a few times because yeah, yeah, you know, we're not going to take their side of the story any seriously at all. So right. What I do like though is that them giving that perspective to to to, to Ray mm -hmm. is is totally viable, and it's it's the ability to try and and hear what's coming out of the other side's brain. And by hearing what's coming out of the other side's brain, you understand it. Doesn't mean you agree with it, but you understand it. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's the larger piece of what I think is at work inside this episode, is that y you have to understand what's coming out of the other side to have your own reaction to what you think and believe. The set dressing for 1954. This was great. I am by no means a specialist in sage old time stuff. But never once, especially when the camera was black and white, did I feel like we were being jerked out of something and thrown into something else. Right. It was all, it was all very, very well done. Yeah, yeah. You, you had the small town feel. They were able to grab some classic cars and have them parked on the sides or driving down the, the, the roads at times. Costuming was on point. It mm -hmm. felt, you felt like you were transported back in time. And then, of course, you know, the change in going from color to black and white also always helps yeah and I, I thought that that was spot on and it really helped you it helped transport you inside this episode every time they did it racist father burns racist son the irony and the payoff of something like this is very strange nobody likes seeing anybody burned alive this was kind of an exception. Uh, yeah, I was. I would, well, see, the thing is, is that it's just when it comes to villains in storytelling, there are two groups because they actually kind of walk hand in hand. Mm -hmm. You've got the Nazis and you've got the racist clan members. Mm. You don't really care about what happens to them. Like, oh, I really hope they're okay. No, you don't. Yeah. Because they're evil fucking people. Right. So not only are we, oh, okay, Ray, who killed a young black, but let's not forget, Ray killed a young black kid mm -hmm. towards the beginning of this episode. So, yeah, deserves to die. But he's being killed by the father he traveled back in time to try to save in a way that is reserved for killing the type of people that Ray hates. It is, it is just deserts. Yeah. And I don't think I've had a bigger smile on my face 
during the demise of one of our villains during this series. Mm -hmm. Totally got what he deserved, and I loved it. That's what we thought was good inside this episode. What did you think was good inside this episode, Season 3, Episode 7? Hate on your dial. Go check out our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, comes with its goods and its bads. We've covered the goods. Well, let's focus on the not-so-goods. Johnny doesn't know what he's doing. Still. Johnny needs a PBR rep or someone to drag him <laughs> into what the hell's going on now, because... I, I, I don't understand our propensity to just toss Johnny in and have him be a bungling idiot again. Where's the employee handbook for the Curious Goods <laughs> Antique Shop? Because how well, many times can we do... protocols? Right, for, how many times beer? can we have a story revolving around, or at least starting off with the, with the revelation of, Johnny doesn't know what he's doing, and that's again. how things continue. Yeah. It's like... There's only so many times you can screw up before it's either, all right, Johnny, you're done, you're out, sorry, but not, you know, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, and th th or, this isn't using the, the 107 form when you should have used the 104 form. Right, This right. is you're selling stuff that's possessed by the devil. And it, it's not like, if there, was, if there was some way to keep Johnny outside the cone of I don't believe and so I don't care, then I might, I might understand it, but you can't. Yeah, you can't. Johnny has been witness to far too much... For him to even think that there isn't a remote possibility that this stuff is true. And so there would be no reason to not check the manifest. Somewhere inside the step-by-step -step protocols of what the intake process is. No matter what comes in, always <laughs> check the manifest. Right. And, and the thing is, is that I could totally understand that being like rule number one. Well, rule number one, don't sell a cursed item. Rule number two, any items bought by the store, check the manifest before putting back out on the shelf. I totally get that. The thing is, though, is that as the everyman character for season three, would you honestly think that a car radio that is not attached to a car mm -hmm. is a cursed item? And as Johnny would think, no. Why would I even think about checking the manifest for a car radio that's not attached to a car? Because just, a, just a radio. Because it's something that you purchased and that's... Right. And I, I get it. I, I get the whole... Okay aspect of it but again it's i get being upset with johnny for using a cursed item to resurrect your dead father <laughs> i get being upset about that oh yeah that 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 whole chestnut right but then you walk in and oh so some lady has just sold a box of junk literally a box of nothing junk and it just so happens to have the cursed car radio that has the ability to travel through time if you smear blood on it. If this continues, if Johnny keeps on being that bumbling employee who keeps messing up, I'm not going to enjoy the rest of season three. And if this is something that painted Johnny in a way to put a bad taste in everybody's mouth watching the show originally, I can understand why they wouldn't like the character of Johnny Ventura. But now, for me, it's not the character's fault. It's the people writing this show's fault for doing that to the character. Fast and loose rules for the item. Okay, so time travel. 
we've we've been there. Let's let's not forget the Baron's Bride. Mm-hmm. You know, great, which for, I really enjoyed. A great episode. Yeah. So it's a, a cloak that when you put blood on it, when it pricks the finger of something, you get you fuel it with some blood. It has the ability to take you back in time. All right. But it has the ability to take you through space and time because you you start off in wherever'sville, Canada, and now you're in London. The same thing happens with this as well. We know that we're not in Mississippi when we start this episode off. We're local. We are there where the Curious Good Shop is. But when the time travel happens, not only do we travel through space, but through time as well. And... I don't necessarily hate the concept because they kind of write it off where, you know, if you uh, want agreed. to go somewhere, yeah. that's where it takes you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, but would it have worked if it wasn't in an actual car? Had they not put the radio in the car and you just mere blood on the radio, would it still work? Yeah. Personally, I'm going to say no because it's not attached to any power source either. Do you have to be attached to a power source for the devil to run through something? Right. Again, it's it's something that isn't explained. But because this episode does have a fast pace, you overlook it you until yeah. you're sitting here like we do mm-hmm. and go like, okay, well, what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff? And you start dissecting it and going like, oh, well, that it was a kind of kind of screwy because mm-hmm. they didn't well, really explain it well right. enough. Right, especially when you can take a, a feature film like Back to the Future. Right. And you can go, okay, so you have a vehicle. The vehicle travels at 88 miles an hour. When it travels at 88 miles an hour and the time circuits are engaged, then the car jumps. Yep. There's your... There's the explanation. Th- there's the fast and loose rules for that. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you have where's your next shot of plutonium? plutonium. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, that, that, that again, that was the brilliance of that film. That's another film that just... It, I as I sit and think of that film, I just I, I keep considering. You got a smile, yeah. Oh, it's a smile, and it's how you realize how absolutely magic that movie is, and with the, the lightning in the bottle that they were able to literally capture with that movie, and and the the rules of that movie, mm-hmm. and that's not what you get here. No. What, what what you get here is okay. There are several components we need. We need an item, whatever the item is going to be. We need blood. Got that check, and then we need a killing. Okay. And as long as you have those three present, apparently this thing works. Uh, and then, I guess, in reverse? It, yeah, to wipe the blood off, yeah. you get to go back in time. Now, the question is, is that it, it, were you wiping the blood off of the knobs? And because the knobs were turning, you traveled forward or backward? Yeah. Again, there's yeah. there's so many things that I think modern storytelling would focus on the and little details yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and again it's just it's just the fact that this was the late 80s early 90s when this is being made so it's like no let's get the get the main story yeah. and just put it out there yeah and i think probably another reciprocal is that if you if you looked at any not any but the vast majority of television programs that dealt with murder mystery what you would see is there'd be a murder mystery and it would essentially be kind of an amped up scooby-doo episode where there's a cast of characters and there's a murder, and now you've got to try and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Where nowadays, what you have is you have a murder, and then you have five or six different people, all with specialties. And as you apply the specialties, the picture begins to turn into something clear as the, as the literal knob on the character and situational awareness screen mm. gets, gets turned to the left. 
and now you've got the picture of who to who done it or not and then the twisting of the wheel is is how it is controlled now right but back then it was usually pretty straightforward there were three or four people in the episode you didn't know who done it it could have been the staffer or assistant of so and so and it turns out that it was actually so and so instead of their assistant it was the butler yeah didn't have anything that you got to focus on now where all of it must make some sort of logistical sense well there's a lot of logistical sense it's just not put in here right right that's not important right now some unanswered questions now two things come to mind when i i, I sit back and i think about the show that we just watched mm -hmm. uh one you brought up they talk about the witness, they talk about the witness, but then there there doesn't really seem to be a witness revealed. Right, there wasn't like a girlfriend at the burnings. Right, yeah. There wasn't somebody that saw something or came forward. Uh, the thing was, is uh, through through watching it, I had my suspicions, and by the time we got towards the end of it, it was like, oh, well, it was the mom. The mom was the witness. She was the one who came forward. She's the reason why her husband slash their dad was sent to prison and hung. That's why they're not in Mississippi anymore. That's why they moved away. And it, it starts to make more and more sense yeah. when you look at it. Now Definitely. you did, but but for you though, it didn't it didn't paint didn't that picture that. yet no. until we actually talked about it. Yeah. Cuz I was literally looking for one of the clansmen is going to have the idiot girlfriend that decided to tag along or something. Yeah. Or there's a lady in a farmhouse next door to where the crosses are being burned or something where there'd be oh it's that woman and that's the woman that you've got to keep as the witness out of the equation mm -hmm. and so if you make sure that only people around you are men and essentially all confidants i.e they've all got hoods on and they're all a part of the group well then right. everything's good yeah. we're good and i think it's it's also because they also initiated the Stephen Pierce hits his kid Archie so often that he makes him mentally deficient. Yeah. And what I focused on was like, oh, okay, so the mother turned him in for that. Except that traditionally, unfortunately, most people that smack their kids hard enough to make them mentally deficient don't get hung. So that, that wasn't it either for me. And so I, the, the disconnect was there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but your, your, your description of the whole thing at the end absolutely makes sense. The other thing that I find curious, though, is that if Ray grew up without a father, how did Ray turn out the way that he did? Because let us not forget, racism is learned. That is, it is taught. And what we could see that Archie was going down that path, and then he, he literally had the smarts knocked out of him and became someone more innocent, so the question is, is that how did Ray become so hate-filled when his mother up, wasn't? He grew up in Canada, away from Mississippi. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, th that's, th that's, that's another thing. We never, we never established that Ray was involved with other people who felt that way. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we have to believe, and this is very loose storytelling, that because there is that photo album that shows what Ray's father was involved oh, in. Oh, in the photos... The and, and, and the photo sure. showed clan members well, and, and burnings that, and things like that. Isn't that funny that mommy displayed them so prominently? Well, I don't know if she displayed them prominently. It's funny that she kept them. You know, because if, if you're hiding from the fact that you fingered your husband for the murder of a, sh a black sharecropper and then left the county, the state, and 
quite possibly the country, uh, just so that you didn't have to face the repercussions of the community that you were leaving. Why would you take that with you? Yeah. So, again, there's a lot of things that were just kind of inserted in this story just for convenience sake. And, again, we keep saying that when we review this show, but, again, it's the nature of the beast back then. You have to put a story out there, so make it just get it out there. Boom. The fact that during our interview with with John, that he goes, you know, the writers, what they would do, you know, something was popular, a movie would come out and something was popular, they'd mm-hmm. write an episode revolving around it. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what came out a year before this episode came out? Mm. Mississippi Burning. Mm. Probably one of the most polarizing films to come out of the 80s dealing with racial prejudice. Mm-hmm. All-star cast, if you haven't seen it, I, I definitely recommend it. Just be warned, you know, this isn't a TV show on late-night television. This is a rated-R movie, and yeah. you're it's and, going to be in your face. And you're right, it's great. But anyway, we're not talking about Mississippi Burning, but this is definitely inspired. This episode is inspired by Mississippi Burning and Back to the Future. Yeah. Maybe the, the mingling of two very different... Uh, uh, storytelling styles, then, you know, throw in the the peppering of Friday the 13th, the series flavoring. Mm-hmm. And and you, you do end up missing a handful of things that make you scratch your head. But again, the story was so engaging while you're watching it, you're not thinking about you that. It. It's yeah. not until afterwards. I agree. Well, those are the things that we thought were bad inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series but we want to know what you thought could have used a little spit and polish head on over to our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com fill out the web form and tell us what you think it's time to take a break here during the curious goods podcast we will be right back Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. In today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts, <laughs> you know as well as I do, time flies. But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Core. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? 
Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. This is John D. LeMay, and you're listening to the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, this time season three, episode seven. Hate on your dial. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to reveal our manifest moments. The manifest moments are where Nick and I find either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element that's shared inside the episode, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? I know that I had a what-if moment in my previous manifest moment for Bad Penny. Uh-huh. But man, I gotta do it again. Mm. My manifest moment for this episode is the what-if revolving around... The Fate of Ray. About halfway through this episode, this is one that I do not remember at all watching as a kid. I had no memory of this this. episode. No, I've never seen this. So yeah, didn't know anything about it. Halfway through the episode, reaching into, oh, okay, back to the future brain. What if Ray does something that ends up causing Ray not to exist? Because he's currently in his mommy's belly. So in my mind, I'm like, ooh, wouldn't it be interesting if he changes the future by ratting out his mother, who he finds out is the witness, and then Stephen Pierce beats his wife, causing a miscarriage, where Raid fades from existence. Hmm. Stephen Pierce still goes to jail because, you know, killed a black man, beat his son, beat his wife, and caused a miscarriage. But now, what happens with the time continuum? You know, does things go fuzzy, and then all of a sudden we're back at the shop, and the lady is selling Johnny the the junk. You know, he's, he's pulling the, the radio out, and maybe Archie comes in, and all Archie does is just say, yeah, I, I know what that is, and my daddy used to have a car like that, but we had to sell it when we moved away. Yeah, it's just been me and Mama all these years. And he just and Johnny just lets him walk out with a little Confederate flag, and that's it. Hmm. I mean, just, uh, again, you know, we don't get the gleeful <laughs> of how Ray does end up in this episode. But that's where my mind was going halfway through. I was like, ooh, are we going to just erase somebody from existence because of their hate? It would be an interesting concept. It is an interesting concept. And again, I, I love twisty turnies inside of stories yeah, like this yeah. because that one makes even better sense. Mm. I, 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 I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's great. I don't have anything nearly as in creative or inventive as that. <laughs> but what I do have is very interesting. My manifest moment inside this episode is the burning crosses. Mm. 
And this is where I want to make sure everyone doesn't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, yay, burning crosses. Wow. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> the filming, though, that they showed of the burning crosses in this, mm-hmm. it's impressive in, in that the, the feat of photographing, and in particular with a moving camera, fire is not easy. Mm-hmm. And the the skill with which it was pulled off inside of this to show something incredibly horrifying that that was impactful, very much like what, what they did inside of Mississippi Burning too. Mm-hmm. Again, that one that, that that is a movie that that's a movie that's so good. You go, man, that's a great movie. I just don't know that I want to watch it again. <laughs> and it's not because right. it was terrible or there was something that reviles you. It's how much cross burning can you watch mm-hmm. exactly? And it's the same way I feel about. Uh, <laughs> A Time to Kill. Yes, I agree with uh, that, too. Uh, just an amazing film, but yeah, it, it's not like something you could watch on a loop. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's very well said. And uh, again, so just that if you go and you look at the, the very short segments that they have inside of this episode that are burning crosses, mm-hmm. they are incredibly impactful and, and mm-hmm. a, a, a stark reminder of why we're doing this review, but what fuels... The centerpiece of what is inside this episode without question. And that's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment for this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and tell us what you found as your manifest moment. Vocabulary. Ah, vocabulary. The words that make Mike and Nick Brain bounce. There's a couple of words that we found inside this episode we thought would be appropriate. The first one is segregation. Segregation, thanks again to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, is described as the process of being separated by race or religion practice, i.e. a policy of racial segregation. And back in the 50s and before that and beyond that, no bueno. Our second word inside the vocabulary segment is equality which is also described by our friends over at visualthesaurus.com as the quality of being the same in quantity or measure or value or status equality is something that is going to be a, a goal unfortunately for a very long time oh yeah and yeah. and i i look forward to their somehow finding bridges to mending some very very bad road Seems like every every bridge that gets built, another three get burned down, and yeah, it's you just we just got to keep trying. Dragon eating its own tail, to be sure. Yeah. What vocabulary struck you from this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website again. That's curiouskidspodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what vocabulary we should think about while we're watching this episode. Ah, the rating inside the Curious Goods Podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. An appropriately placed emoliation by a particular son by a certain father. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale, accepting more items inside the shop and not following protocol. Check the manifest. Everything starts at a seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. 
Nick, what do you got? My opinion on this episode shifted not only as I was watching it, but as we were working on the retail, as we were working on the review, and at literally as we approached giving a rating. I'm like, there are problems with this episode, but they're really just story hiccup problems. The overall scope of this episode is is quite solid. And I think I would be giving it a disservice if I tried to give it anything less than a 10. I think I'm going to take the other perspective where there's always something that can be better done to try and bridge the racial divide. And so just as a matter of course, I'm going to give it a nine. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think of this episode? Season three, episode seven. Hate on your dial. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you rated this episode. Ah, reaching the end of yet another episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. Mm -hmm. Thanks to... uh, Hey, Nick. Yeah? yeah, What? uh, I don't see my antique microphone that's usually up there on on top of that speaker over there. Have you seen that recently? Oh, Oh, you mean th- that that old crusty microphone? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. somebody was in here earlier before you got in and, mm-hmm. and was admiring it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a, you know an old, old microphone, you know. And they were like, hey, I'd give you twenty five bucks for it. And I'm like, all it is is just taking up space. So yeah, I I, I sold it to them. Oh, that's I'll, uh, I'll that, split the money with you. That that's mighty thrifty and generous of you, but uh, the microphone is cursed. C- cursed? Yeah. What? Mike, why would you have a cursed microphone did, in the studio? Did, did you not check the manifest before you sold the cursed microphone the in the studio? Ma- manifest? This is a podcast Did you check stu- the manifest? This is a podcast studio. Why would you have a manifest? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. We are now recording. This is the Curious Kids Podcast, Season 3, Episode 7, Hate on Your Dial. <clears throat> In three, two, pardon my farting chair.